Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast, where in each episode, we tackle different aspects of popular culture, including gaming, comics, movies, and more. We talk about what works, what doesn't, and our vision for a more inclusive space for everyone. In this episode, Valerie and Erin are joined by our friend Meth to discuss She-Ra now that the series has wrapped up. Spoilers ahead for not only She-Ra, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Legend of Korra. On with the podcast! Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. In this podcast, we are once again returning to the Netflix show She-Ra. We've talked about She-Ra on the podcast before when the first season came out, but now that the show has completed, we wanted to return to the series and again talk about how the show really stands out, not only as something really unique, but as a show that signals a change in how we tell stories, both animated and otherwise. I have two guests with me today um, to talk about She-Ra, and the first is Erin. Hey, Erin, want to introduce yourself? Hi, Erin McGrath. I am one of the ladies of kamikazes. And also with us, we have Meth. Hey, I'm Meth. They, them. I am a, um, how do I put this? Uh, I'm a character about town. I should, I can say that. Uh, and also uh, a member of the Princess Rebellion, though, not a princess. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start things off with a spoiler warning. So we're going to assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you have finished the entire series because pretty much it's all fair game at this point. So let's get started. Um, What I wanted to start with our conversation is to talk about um, sort of our journey as we watch the show. Coming up on the final season, I'm sure we all sort of had expectations of what we were hoping to see, what we expected to see. What kind of expectations did both of you have sort of coming to the show originally, maybe based on some of your familiarity with the original series, and how did those expectations maybe change over the course of watching the show? My experience with the original She-Ra was actually pretty limited. Um, I'm a little outside of the age range that it was super popular for, but my... uh, Third sister, Kelly, loved She-Ra. She was a big fan as a, as a wee tyke. And so I, I do remember the show being on and that it was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, you know, I mean, and it, it, was, it was of its time. It was like many of the things at that time. Um, but I was excited to watch this version because I really love Noelle Stevenson. I was a big Nimona fan. I love what she did with Lumberjanes. And I just love cartoons. So I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. But my expectations were pretty um, minimal, I guess, because I just wasn't sure um, what they could do with the characters. And um, that wasn't, you know, now that we're, we're not really focused on selling toys with them per se. So I felt like it was all potentially fair game. And um, so my expectations were, were kind of non-existent, and yet they were still exceeded. Um, I, I was shocked at how immediately drawn in and excited I was by the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, so um, I I share um, I share an experience with your sister. I was of that age. I was like 
five or six, and it was my favorite show. I was so stoked because I was always into superheroes. And, you know, when I was a little kid, I was kid, a little kid in the 80s. There were like no female superheroes other than Wonder Woman, who is awesome. But, you know, I, I loved She-Ra and my brother loved He-Man. And we saw the She-Ra and He-Man movie. And, you know, she stuck, you know, the, the, the archetype, right? Like the, the awesome chick with the awesome horse and the sword just kind of stuck with me. Um, and she was my favorite for, you know, so long, even after like, you know, revisiting the show as an adult and being like, this show is not very good. Um, <laughs> I also had that experience. No, it, it, it wasn't. It was made to sell toys, but it was cool. and Everything was sparkly and pretty. And she was a badass. Um, and I remember when I was 12, I was flipping through the, the TV and I saw Xena for the first time. And I was elated because I was like, look, she's like She-Ra. So cool. Well, also extremely gay. Um, so, and, you know, as I got older, I came out and uh, kind of revisited the old She-Ra. I was watching it. And I was like, this show is unintentionally gay. And I also heard that Noelle Stevenson was doing the show uh, and that they were doing a reboot. And I was excited because actually you folks were the ones that told me to check out Lumberjanes. Because I, I remember going, I remember going into the to Kamikaze and being like, I need something to read. And you folks were very much like, check out Lumberjanes. So I was stoked that you know Noel was doing this. So I went in with the expectation of of um, nostalgia. I went in with nostalgia. I went in with all this kind of built up mm -hmm. nostalgia of like being able to watch an awesome, you know, kick ass person, hopefully a decent show. And my expectations were just blown out of the water the style was beautiful i really liked magical girl animes um i got into them when i was a little bit older a lot of my friends started watching them as teenagers but i actually got into them when i was like in my mid-20s and i recognized it immediately as kind of an americanized magical girl anime it reminds me a lot of avatar um mm. in terms of which i loved i love avatar and i love cora um and it reminds me of that in terms of the the subject matter and the meatiness and the storytelling. And uh, I got that like immediately from it. And I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And I would count down the days until the new seasons would start. And I would make a little special date with me. So my cat molasses loves it. Um, I, I put it on and she crawls up and curls up next to me. And she puts her little paws under her chin and she watches the show. So, you know, whenever the new season would come out, we'd wait a couple of days and then me and Molasses would have a have a cat and human date where we would sit and binge and watch the series together. And I just I, I loved it from the jump and I loved where it went and I loved how how it moved through the stories and the finale just broke me. It, it just broke me. Oh, I, too, had a ritual every time that <laughs> yeah. I watched She-Ra. It was too important, if that yeah. makes sense. No, totally. It was like it was, it was, it was during that time. Like I didn't check like my phone. Like I would literally like put my phone in another room, mm -hmm. and I would have like my cup of tea or whatever, and I would watch it. And and you know, my husband knew that it was not time for him to bother me. Yes, like, <laughs> it's it time. <laughs> she yeah, time. And it became like a joke because he would literally like poke his head around and be like, "I know I'm interrupting Chira, but," and I'd be like, "It better be good." <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> sorry to interject it was like that at my house too um my partner awen was was like watched a couple episodes with me i was like this isn't really my speed and i was like okay then you need to leave me be and let me watch my shows <laughs> see now meanwhile over in this household i started watching it by myself because i didn't 
I just felt like, okay, well, this is just something I'm going to check out. And uh, Bob watches far more than I do. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, this will be the thing that I watch when he's not home. And then he popped in and loved it. And I should have known because he does <laughs> he loves storytelling so much. Why did I think that he wouldn't want to watch this? So our ritual was to watch it together. Um, and I couldn't get ahead of it. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> you just gave us the perfect segue, right? Because you were talking about how the storytelling hooked us in so quickly. What about like the storytelling? Like what what does this show do with like tropes and expectations that's like different and makes it so special to us? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, I think it I won't steal any thunder from our, our our other guests, but I do think it subverts almost every trope and expectation mm-hmm. uh, that I had, certainly. You know, while still while still following a model that is a show that is accessible and appropriate for children, mm-hmm. which is impressive, right? Because it's still very much at its heart about the power of friendship, about everybody banding together. You know, we're going to win in the end, which mm-hmm. Bob would sing along with the theme, theme song pretty regularly. <laughs> um, it's very powerful, that theme song. Um, but, you know, it, it just... I think that the storytelling was powerful. One, something I've noticed about modern animation is um, the continued storytelling, right? So when we were kids and when Shira, the first cartoon came out, you watched things that were entirely episodic. Mm-hmm. There was almost no canon or structure. Stuff happened and then it was never talked about again and random characters popped up and you never saw them again. Um, and one of the things that was brilliant is there was clearly an end game that was planned from the moment the show opens. Mm-hmm. And so that for me was, was huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Um, the, the storytelling, like I had mentioned before, really reminded me um, and really kind of drew from, I kind of like, I see Avatar as kind of that watershed moment. Um, in specifically like all ages animation where like it took a show that was about like you know the power the power of friendship once again and balance and and really kind of um, elevated the storytelling with it and I mean this story is it's airtight Mm -hmm. I mean every there are no missed beats you know there are very 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 small places where it lags nothing drop nothing is dropped and um, the subvert, like the subversion of the tropes, is the thing that I really, really loved because it kept it kept the the movement of it going, but it also built a character. Like the the character of Adora is a chosen one character, right? And the chosen one always self sacrifices, but the way that they approached that, especially at the end, where you know, instead of it being, I'm a huge Buffy fan. You will get new complaints about talking about Buffy from me. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to draw parallels to Buffy and Avatar because those are... Um, Two those perfect are... and wonderful shows. And Not both perfect, sh- but perfectly yeah. wonderful. Perfectly wonderful. And they're both shows that deal with, you know, like a chosen one idea, right? And they're mm-hmm. both serial television shows that deal with the, tro- the chosen one. Um, and they all subvert it in a specific way. And the way that She-Ra subverts it is that it subverts the self-sacrifice part. Like, she is... Even like the, you know, at the, at the end of it, when she's, you know, in the, in the heart and has the, you know, the journey, hallucination, whatever it is of the, the, of Mara, the previous Shira, she tells her that she didn't, 
die so she could die. Her choice to self-sacrifice is not the thing that saves the world, right? It's it's her choice to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her choice to accept love. That says um, you're you're worth more than you're worth you more than what you give to other people. Exactly, and that's such a good message to give, especially to little girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, because women are socialized to do that sort of self-sacrifice and that sort of um, emotional labor, and this is a phenomenal uh, message to give to little girls. That, like, no, you're worth more than what you can do for other people. You have your own self-worth. Oh so, gosh, even as you talk about it, like, I'm getting teary-eyed. No, but before this, I, <laughs> before this, before we did this, I watched the last two and a half episodes because you have to watch the last part of failsafe before you know to really kind of get the momentum because i mean it drives you know like the last five episodes of the series are just a freight train Mm -hmm. you know they it's it it reminds me of the last five episodes of the fifth season of buffy you know which is its own type of finale right like Mm -hmm. it just it it's it all takes place in less than like a day or less than two days and it just mm-hmm. drives and it's it yeah it's pure plot but it's also like it's the the place where the 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 pure beautiful plot and the pure beautiful emotional drive just kind of connect and just it's magic right it lets the magic it lets the magic free so it's just awesome right and i i love your i love your comparison to so those of us who are, are, are fans of sort of the magical girl genre, you're absolutely right. It's it's, it's so much of like, let's even use um, Sailor Moon as an example, because it's the most accessible and easy yep. example. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And it's the one that everybody knows. It's, constantly it's one everybody knows. Yep. Um, about self-sacrifice, right? Yep. It's mm-hmm. constantly about that. And like you, you know, yep. I mean, that was it for me was the moment that I really started like losing my mind was that whole message of like mm-hmm. um you are enough and you are worthy and yeah you are more than just what you can provide to others yeah and oh it's beautiful and also the last the scene where you know she's she's having the future vision and then she's wrapped in the ribbons and she has to and her and catch reach for each other is a blatant out and a ripoff like oh my gosh like she, it is <gasps> shot for shot I can't believe I didn't ask someone who also likes that series. I can't believe I didn't yeah. pick that up. I haven't watched it that is, in so long. It is. I, I, I've only watched a little bit of it, but I watched I, it. It was a zillion years ago and I enjoyed it. But when I saw that, I was like, yo, I know what that's from. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it is, it is so, it is so magical girl. But yeah, it subverts that trope. Um, and also the, the restore balance trope. Going back to Avatar, you know, Korra and Aang are there to restore balance. Well, balance is a, you know, it's seen as the good thing, right? Okay. With Shira, restoring the balance means you're turning the, you're calibrating a weapon. Right. Because it's not about restoring the balance. It's about having, it's about releasing the constraints and having the freedom, right? Like, and I just, I also thought that was fantastic. Yeah, opening opening all of the channels back up, and again, and have, letting everyone have access to something that they should have always had, instead of these special chosen folks. Exactly, that it has to be channeled through. It's like no, the magic is for everybody. 
Yeah, and it's decolonizing it too, right? Like this was this was this mm-hmm. these restraints, these technical restraints were put on by colonizers. Um and it's it's a decolonization metaphor as well. I mean, it's it's barely a metaphor, <laughs> but <laughs> They're literally like, they set up magic colonies and they destroyed everything with magic with their constraints on magic. But well, also, I, sucked it away from the places it belongs to. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the irony is not lost on me that, you know, a blonde, blue eyed colonizer is the one that denies her own colonizing heritage. And, you know, that's not really lost on me either. <laughs> Able to give it back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I fucked up. So, but so, so back to so we were talking about sort of like the plot, um, and and within that, right, we were talking about like self worth and whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about how we get character and we learn about characters from the types of relationships that are on mm-hmm. the show, um, only because I like I they cover so many bases in the types of relationships. And, you know, how relationships work. And I wanted to sort of pull that apart a little bit. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. So what what sort of messaging did you guys get from, like, how relationships worked in the show? For me, there was this classic message that but was still done in a really um, compelling way about the importance of just communicating. Mm-hmm. The people you're in a relationship with, right? Whether that's a platonic relationship, a romantic relationship, relationship that you would like to be romantic. Every real problem in the show is caused by people either not talking about something. So I think about like way back when uh, Bo needs to go back and see his dad and he won't tell any of the others where he's going or what he's doing. And he doesn't tell his dad what he wants out of basically. Right. And it just causes all this stress. And that's such a classic, I mean, that's a sitcom trope. That's a cartoon trope, but I feel like what's a little bit unique is one, it's not always resolved super quickly, right? Like people still keep making that mistake over and over again, because that's how people are. Right? We don't all just suddenly become self-actualized and start communicating better. Um, <laughs> and I feel like it takes the whole show for particularly, I think about Glimmer and yep. Bo, you know, mm-hmm. just for mm-hmm. them to really connect and, and talk. And so for me, that was a big part of it. And it's the same thing with, um, I won't get into all the Shadow Weaver stuff yet. We can see that for a little bit in there. But <laughs> I know she's a she's a bad bad uh, parental figure, but Oof. <laughs> I got I got problems with Shadow Weaver. <laughs> yeah, but she, oh man, but Lorraine Toussaint does an amazing job of acting oh, herself. Oh, she acts the crap out of that. It's amazing. <laughs> but um, but you know, I think I think that's I think that's really important. That stuff's not just resolved because you talked it out, but talking is at least the beginning of how we're going to resolve issues yeah I, I i think that too and i think i think glimmer the character glimmer specifically embodies that right because she's mm-hmm. she's so insecure like her you know her journey is going from i mean she starts princess prom where she's like i'm afraid you know oh my only friend and i don't want to lose him to other people she's so insecure she's jealous 
Uh, and all of her, you know, so many of her internal conflict can be solved by just having a communication, having communication skills, you know, go from, you know, princess prom to, you know, destroy, almost destroying the world by not telling anybody what she was doing, you know, like, um, so much of it is, is about communication. It's also about kind of communication with your own, like, emotional, internal emotional communication with yourself. Katra, Katra's my favorite character. Katra is the emotional heart of the show. Katra is the emotional protagonist. Adora is the plot protagonist. They, yes, you know, Katra has plot, and yes, Adora has an emotional drive, but when you're watching it, when you're watching it together, it's not the traditional antagonist um, protagonist in the sense where, you know, the antagonist's only goal is to block the protagonist. The, they both have very, very strong journeys. I mean, they, it literally ends with the two of them in the heart. Like, you know, it literally ends with Katra, you know, finally being the heart of the show and opening up. And I think that um, self, like the self-knowledge that uh, Katra does not have throughout the entire series kind of ties into this communication type of thing, right? Because it's communicating with your kind of internal understanding and knowing yourself and communicating with your internal emotions through all of your bowl. I personally feel that it's so um, to the credit of the writers, like that's what makes the story really, I guess, real and resonate mm-hmm. is like, they're not angsty for angst's sake. Like just no. because like, like this character is this trope and this trope is like the pouty expected you know typical character right right and like yeah. some of them might start off that way but they don't end that way right, right? even if we just talk about the adora catra relationship that relationship in the hands of another show could have ended very differently so, so messy too it could have been mm-hmm. so messy <laughs> yeah and yeah I completely, I completely, I completely agree. But it's handled, it's handled with the right amount of, there's reverence to it, there's love, there's violence. But the, and the understanding of where the, what the violence is, because it's not just, it's not physical violence, it's not just emotional violence, it's, it's psychological violence, right? Like Mm -hmm. they've, they've both been, they're both each other's biggest psychological torture, and I, 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 I mean, that's one of the reasons why I also enjoy the show is that it is, is psychologically deeply mature, but it presents these type of really mature understandings of, you know, what makes brains click in a way that can and is filtered for an all ages audience without dumbing it down. So much of Adora's <laughs> violence towards Katra is just not seeing Katra for what she is, but you just don't see her. And she's just so caught up in her own stuff all the time. Um, And it's, it's just fascinating because she, she clearly does, even from the get go, love her can say that, you know, wants to stay friends and it's Katra who's pushing her away, but she's not seeing all of the ways that she's doing damage by just, again, pushing forward with the self-sacrifice and, and, you know, that push to be a good soldier, whether it was a good soldier for the horde or a good soldier for the princesses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's Adora's, I mean, that's Adora's journey, right? Like mm-hmm. once we, you know, once again, like we go, okay, sh- her entire life is, 
her entire life is dictated. She's so lawful good that like she <laughs> she's such a lawful character, right? And and, and Katra is a chaos character, you know, like joking with some friends. I'm like Katra is the tortured chaos butch that I was at like 18 years old. Like <laughs> I have since grown up to be Seahawk, and I'm very happy about that. But, I mean, she's the chaos character. She's fiercely independent. She values her independence, which is why when she gets chipped by Horde Prime, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, like, with the, other, with the other princesses, yes, it's scary. But when you get, when, you know, it's the initial, and it terrifies Adora. Like, it's, it takes everything that she knows about, about Katra and reframes it. Right, because there's, yes, Catra is fiercely independent, but there's also that she sort of welcomes what Horde Prime is offering because she also just, she wants to belong, even though she doesn't know how. And so there's this release in just giving in to his creepy religious cult, right? To just say, oh, I don't have to fight anymore. I don't have to strive to be who I am. I can just let go. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, to also speak to that. I mean, she was also, I mean, to kind of bring this a little dark, but she was suicidal. Yeah. Like after like the, at the end of the fourth season, like when Glimmer comes in she's, she's broken. She's complete. She's completely broken. She's got everything that she ever thought that she wanted. She's proved everything that she can to everybody else. And she's, she's broken. She is literally a kitty cowering on the floor. Um, and when Glimmer comes in, she's like, why don't you just kill me, essentially? You know, when she when she gets taken by Horde Prime, she's like, this doesn't matter. She she just wants that. She wants that relief. She wants to be done. Right. You know? And that's what Horde Prime has to offer is the complete yep. negation of yourself yep. to himself. Yep. It's so sad. What a it sad so kitty. Sad. But, um, but like, right at the end, I'm going to, I'm going to switch this over to something more happy because we can't talk about Katra and Adora without talking about, um, their relationship in terms of romance. Yes. I really want to talk about that because it, to me personally, and you know, this is in some ways, this might be kind of a weird podcast because all we're doing is saying all the wonderful things that we love about the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, as I do have who... one critique though, so that's fine. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, but as someone who, uh, you know, I, I joke a lot of times that like, I'm like the, 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 the one from the, the ladies who's like the most into like romance. And can I just say that this was one of the most satisfying romantic arcs. <laughs> so yes. favorite things that, um, I follow Noelle Stevenson on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is- Reading, Her Twitter is um, fuck wild. It's awesome. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. And at one point, she's talking about, you know, reflecting on the end of the show, and she's talking about how when she started the series, she knew that it was a romance between Catra and Adora, but really thought that she was being subtle. And <laughs> that, right? And then like, <laughs> pick up on it. That it's just, that's yeah. so adorable to me because it's so yeah, clear no. from the beginning. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm sorry. The princess, the whole pr- like as soon as the princess prom and you see Catra in that outfit, I was like, okay, I have feelings, but at the same time, um. <laughs> like, oh yeah. my god, 
Yes, now I know exactly what I want to happen now. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be heartbroken. But thankfully, it did happen. Yeah, I could legit do like an entire podcast series on Princess Prom and (laughs) all of the ways that I love it. Um, Because it's it's so good. And it is, well, once again, going back, it is so queer. Like, Mm -hmm. there is no question. No one has blinks an eye when two female a female couple shows up or a male couple shows up or a male female couple shows up or other gendered people show up to this prom. None whatsoever. There is like nobody bats an eye. Like Katra looks real good in a suit. And there is like, there, uh, the, the tension, the ten. I love the villain. I love the, you know, I love that, vi- that villain hero sexual tension thing. It just gets me every single time. Yeah. The music is really good. Like it's super eighties, and I'm not gonna. I, Scorpia I, is just uh, like, everything. It's every, Scorpia is such a dreamboat. Like, <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? Like, there, this isn't like just a tiny bit tangential, but and then we. I promise I will go back to romance. Um, because I will. The there are no beefcakey dudes. There's no like male power fantasy, like you know, not to be shady, but there's no power male power fantasy he man bulk, right? Mm-hmm. The muscular people in this are 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 women, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of really muscular, cut like bulky women in the show. Mm-hmm. It's true, and the the men while well fit, yeah, <laughs> not definitely fit stereotype in. Neither in their look nor in their attitudes. Right. 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 Yeah. Like Seahawk comes across as like the most sort of like typical male romance character. And I think mm-hmm. in the original series, he was kind of the romantic interest for She-Ra. He was. Yeah. Right. right? Yep. And the way that they treat, like the way that they characterize him in the current show, I was like, you know, they made me love him. Was really. <laughs> He's one of my favorite characters. I, I I identify with him so much. I think it's the mustache. <laughs> it's like I want to be friends with him so much. Totally. But right, like he's he's definitely not how you think of straight men at all. Actually, right. He starts no. out as this like standard romantic trope, and then it's like no, 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 none of that. He's, He's quite flamboyant uh, and and unashamed of his own emotion. And as the one who is very ashamed of every emotion. (laughs) Yeah. I love how that flips that like typical relationship. Like you see that kind of relationship, right? All the time. Mm -hmm. Where like the guy is very gruff and like denies all the relationships. Then the girl is like, like, like a manic pixie dream girl, but like as a guy. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like why totally. on fire what? <laughs> just because I, you can yeah and then when just said that she like like you know also let's like 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 what is it she also put someone's boat on yes, fire she because did. she wanted to know yeah. what it was like oh. she wanted to know how it felt oh, oh god i love that <laughs> i was like i'm like healthy relationship goals sure <laughs> It's totally healthy. <laughs> Not normally, but it, but in an Etheria, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. No, we're lighting boats on fire is is definitely a, an Etherian romantic uh, courting uh, ritual that 
you know, we humans just don't know. But <laughs> but I want to um, I want to go back to sort of the queer relationships in the show totally. because yeah, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about like how many of us have seen a television show like this where a queer couple is the main romantic arc um that wasn't explicitly about the queer experience yes and for adults never right never. like i can't i can't even like yeah. when i when i keep saying that i feel like the show is groundbreaking yeah the fact that this exists like continue like just gives me hope in this world that we're currently in where like people refuse to even wear face masks because it's an inconvenience yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right this yeah. idea of actually uh, remembering, even though technically not everyone is human, and she wrote right. that, but that that humanity is the core and not people's preferences, right? It's just they're people, and yeah, they love and it just moves on. Yeah, and I, I, the so I, I, I tell people that it the the ending of the show gave me a legitimate existential crisis and people laugh and i'm like no i don't think you understand i've been wanting this since i was six years old like i have been wanting you know kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation right like you know like i i watched xena you know i was like oh xena and gabrielle it never never anything buffy and faith never anything like any of these people that were heroes that flirted with lesbian subtext or queer subtext and it was it was so frustrating right and then you get willow and like you know willow and tara you get and, willow and tara who had and a how, does, how does that end right exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. and they can't even kiss on screen mm -hmm. um and i mean like i bless willow you know i always identified with willow she's phenomenal but like oh so cool so her girlfriend dies and spoiler alert guys her girlfriend dies she becomes evil like and then she gets mm -hmm. like really super boring rebound girl but like whatever kennedy's hot anyway um <laughs> but this was different like i was watching this and i was like oh my god i think like I was watching it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. They're totally gay for each other. Cool, cool. Because I've I've seen that, right? Like, I, you know. And I thought until the last two episodes, two and a half episodes, really, I thought that it was just going to be the same old, same old. Okay, fine. You know, they're totally gay, but whatever. And the moment where Catcher runs away, and you know, the emotional support cat for the cat, Milog, who is amazing i love that they got a cat a cat because that's what you do when your cat's sad you get them another cat <laughs> uh, um, right like so me luck chases chases her down and the second she says i don't she doesn't want me the way that i want her i was like wait what we're talking about this right are we, what are we actually gonna do this and i was like i was oh like my, it was god. audible gasp yeah i was like oh my god we're gonna do this and just wa like watching it and watching how like the you know Katra always knew right like she just had to she had to come into her own because she was deeply messed up but the fact that Adora was kind of like oh wait I totally do love this person and it's okay it's so it was lovely it was so beautifully romantic and I had a legitimate existential crisis because I felt like my entire like my entire kind of queer pop culture consuming existence which I based so much, like so many milestones of my life are based around, you know, my, my pop culture heroes, right? Like 
I, I've joked with you, you folks before that Xena made me gay. You know, reading Xena fan fiction made me gay. Um, <laughs> you know, at 14 years old. Uh, and just seeing this actually happen, not to say that there are, I mean, there are awesome queer characters on the show too. Bo has Bo's two dads, Natasha and Spinarella, Double Trouble. We have a, a non-binary character, like amazing. But this high romance of the hero and the villain, not just getting the girl, but finding each other is just... I was like dead. My brain was dead for like a week. Anytime somebody said anything to me, I was like, yeah, but she was gay, guys. They made she were gay. I called my mom. <laughs> and I was like, mom, they made she were gay. <laughs> yeah, I, I will admit to like ugly crying and all of yeah. these like feelings and just like, I mean, I mean, all right, fine, I'll admit it. Like, I'm 40. And, like, there was also a little part of me that was so angry and sad that I had to wait until I was 40. Yeah. Oh, to same. To something like that. Oh, same. I definitely, I was like, if I had this when I was 10, if I saw all these awesome queer characters, if I saw an actual non-binary character on TV when I was 10, where the, even the villains don't screw up their pronoun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just like, we get it. Yeah, it's like, cool, okay, fine, yeah, they got it. And it's just... Oh. Well, and I I mean, for me, seeing Catherine and Adora admit their love was great because the the issue was never the queerness, right? Like, it wasn't yeah. even Adora. It wasn't figuring out is it okay to love someone else who identifies as a girl because we've exactly. established that in this world, that is all very typical, yeah, exactly. The issue is just her even understanding, like, oh, I can want things, and I'm not, to your point earlier, Meph, I'm not here to just sacrifice myself to the greater good. I can want things and people and go after it. Mm -hmm. And that's the central tension. That's cool. Because yeah. right, even, even Cora, and, you know, uh -huh. Which gives it to you, like, at the very end, sort of shoehorned in in this, like... I know. I think they earn, I think they earn the relationship, but they don't give you any actual meat to it until pretty much the final scene. But, so even that, there is this, like, oh, is this okay for right. me to want? And that's not the issue here. No, it's not. Um, and also, just in, like, a very, like, you know, in the epic storytelling two queer people admitting their love for each other saved the universe yeah. and it wasn't a story it, like queer love saves the universe like that's what broke me i you know i shipped them to the first like five minutes of the show i was like mm, girl they love each other <laughs> like <laughs> they love they're gonna get married and have babies <laughs> but it's the idea that it's an explicitly queer love in a story, it, I, I wrote in the notes, uh, queer love in a story about redemption without self-sacrifice, but with self-fulfillment self, self are the things that save the universe. And that's so beautiful. It is you know, so you don't need to see any more queer people dying for the universe to be saved. You can, yeah. you get to see queer people loving each other and it saves the universe. Mm -hmm. And living. And it's just... I'm gonna cry again, even though I know I'm, like, I'm no, I'm like I'm literally just I'm very emotional. And then like um, I'm yeah. 
And then on the side to have characters of like different body types oh, and no. just like it's everything. Like oh my gosh. if I if I had like if I if there was a, if if I had a show with a character that was like Glimmer and mm-hmm. looked like Glimmer when I was 12, 13, I couldn't tell you like what that would like when I think about the experience that girls or not even just girls, right? Like children mm-hmm. are having watching this show mm-hmm. and feeling mm-hmm. at that age like it just makes me want to cry it's so I beautiful know. i know I, like, I was like for them to see like you're valued and you're worthy of being loved and having these relationships and going on these adventures and doing great things yeah and you're strong and you're brave and you can you can fight fascism with your awesome wife yeah. who you know <laughs> Like I I love Spinnerella and Nosas. I think they're adorable. And Noel Noel Stevenson is is uh, Spinnerella. Yep. So, but I just it's because they're they're also older, right? Like they're you know the, if the rest of them are in their their like early, late teens, right? Like seventeen, eighteen, mm-hmm. I think is the the age that that Noel gave. They were part of the original rebellion. They're probably in their late twenties, early thirties, like minimum. And they're just this like awesome old married couple who like is just. They're the queer elders that are looking after the babies and and still making sure that you know that the world is is saved. And, and their love is also so. Sweet. Their love is it, it's so it's also so real. It's you know, Catherine and Adora have this beautiful, epic, giant, romantic like eighteen year olds in love. Got it. They are a married couple, and they're just like, okay, I love you. You are my weakness, but we are going to compete. We are going to be snarky with each other. There is this part where, like, I forgot who says it. So, Meth, it sounds like you have a better memory, but like, there's something I've watched it like where seven they're, times so. where they're competing, and there's like a little journal entry that's like, and this is going to be you, and you have to do all the housework because <laughs> I'm going to win. And there's this little yep. trying. <laughs> little drawings of the the holding the feather duster yeah yeah and yeah. i'm like who, who who in a long-term relationship like hasn't had that conversation no i'm right and you're wrong and then because i'm right you're gonna have to do the dishes and i'm not so like gary took those hands <laughs> it's just so cute it's adorable so what do we uh where do we want to move from here um, um let's I want... talk about oh go ahead Valerie. oh um <laughs> Sorry, I'm also like looking at our time. I wanted, yeah. to, I didn't want to, to not talk about, um, redemption. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys had um, some things that you wanted to say about a certain lady. Yes, uh, about a certain shadow weaver. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so have at it. Eric, <laughs> uh, uh, you go first. No, 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 please do. Okay, okay, I will. Okay, so. <laughs> so, I mean, redemption is a huge theme throughout the show. Um, but, you know, we've kind of already talked about Catra's redemption. And Shadow Weaver's redemption is, in my opinion, watching it. And I actually just watched the last episode, um, again, just to kind of bulk up on it. It still doesn't, it's not a redemption. It's not as, as full and as kind of honest of a redemption as Catra's. Um, it's not a fully selfless act. I think the most selfless act that she does is turn away from the heart of Etheria, but even then she does that because she knows it's she it's gonna kill her. Mm-hmm. 
even her even her sacrifice is made to make her is made to manipulate it's made to make her look better instead of to actually i mean she does functionally help everybody right but like it's not it's not a fully selfless act well no her final words are essentially you're welcome yeah yeah Yeah, it's like look what i did for you finally i raised you you know and i mean she's she, she is the the character herself is terrifying you know she is that's probably the one of the darkest things about it right about the show is she's she's not just a mean mommy she's a she's a gas manipulative abuser like in the Wait, way she's that she's a sociopath it, she's a sociopath and yeah. the way that it, the way that she you know she is written to be like an actual sociopath she's not you know she does not really have redeeming qualities she is she's pure motive right and it's always her own, even when she does a redemptive act. And that's what I find. So one of my favorite things about that last scene is that sort of sarcastic, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. I think there's a part of Shadow Weaver that knows there's no place for her mm-hmm. in this new world if they fix it. Right. And if they don't fix it, everything is destroyed and Horde Prime just takes over everything and sucks up the life out of it. So it's not so much, I don't, I actually don't necessarily think she gets redeemed. Mm -hmm. She just does the most expedient thing. But what's interesting is she really does have this weird soft spot for Adora that I think is actually really real too, right? Because nobody is pure evil. And even Shadow Weaver is not pure evil. She's terrible. <laughs> and she is a horrible, <laughs> yeah. again, just a horrible parental figure. Right. Manipulates her children constantly. Right. But she does love at least Adora in this strange way. Um, and I feel like her relationship with Catra is maybe seeing too much of herself, but not, but never enough, right? You don't ever live right. up to what I need you to be so I just think and again it's just so powerful to see that again in a show that's meant to be all ages and she is terrifying but Mm -hmm. she never goes into this complete caricature she's got these weird moments like sipping tea in her creepy little garden (laughs) yep yeah no I mean and so much of that is given to Lorraine Chusson because she's just extraordinary it, the acting is just extraordinary. She's an well, extraordinary the, the line reading on that, you're welcome. Just uh-huh. <sighs> yeah, I was watching. So Noelle and, and Molly, her wife, did a like a, a live stream where they raised $40,000 for Black Lives Matter. And they were just talking about the show. And they said that they had an entire speech written for that. And the uh, writer's assistant looked and, looked and was like, we don't need all of this. She can just act it with two words. And she did. <laughs> and it's just yeah it was it's awesome so is there anything else that we that you guys were like dying to talk about that we didn't have a chance to i want to hear the critique because i i don't necessarily disagree that there are any but i want to hear meth's critique specifically since we mentioned it earlier oh, okay yeah i'll tie in so um it kind of goes back to our conversation about representation and specifically about double trouble mm-hmm. so 
I, I identify as non-binary and I was elated when I heard that they were going to have a non-binary character on the show. And while I am once again, fine with the idea of, you know, people of, uh, because the, the, because the framing of the show is so queer, I don't have a problem with the idea of a non-binary character being a villain. I have, I think that having a non-binary character as a shapeshifter trope is a tiny bit lazy. Yeah. I'm like, here, here I was to be like, well, I would argue that Double Trouble isn't really a villain. Double right. Trouble's just kind of like, I don't know, in it for Double Trouble, right? They're in it for yeah. themselves. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's totally fine. And somebody, yeah. you know, I was having this conversation with somebody and they're like, well, you know, it's not because, you know, they're a villain. I was like, no, 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 no. They're not a villain. And yeah. it's not my issue. It's not like the evil gay. Like, I love me. Sh- I love me. My morally ambiguous characters. Like, oh, absolutely. Double trouble's where the money is, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I love Double Trouble. I love the whole scene when Double Trouble essentially, you know, facilitates Catra's breakdown. Freak, that is that is rough, and yeah. it's so dark. It's so dark. But uh, and that's great. I love it. Meaty, awesome character. Fully, you know, but. It's really the like you're gonna make the non-binary character a shapeshifter, really. You right, can, like you know, that's fair. Like, yeah, <laughs> like and it's, like I said, that's like my only and it's my tiniest one. I was like, everything else is great, but maybe I don't know, have them be like a a prince X. That would be cool. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. You know, like like or horde. I don't. They could be evil. That's fine. Or but, you know, have more than one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah that too. That right, too. like that also would have been one out of many. I mean, yeah, right, why not have many? Right, kind of absolved the problem. Um, I do, I do appreciate that they actually cast a non-binary actor. Yeah, the person. Yeah. And I appreciate that they took a character that never actually even made it into the original cartoon series. Double Trouble was actually just in a storybook. And that's oh, I think wow. say maybe Glimmer's sister. And the whole idea was that uh Double Trouble in the in the storybook was essentially a double agent, hence the mm-hmm. name. Um so, right. so I get where maybe that's why they went with the shapeshifter angle too, right? This right. whole double agent. But I agree that unfortunately with the being the only non-binary binary, explicitly identified character right. with the role. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. It's true. You could have you could yeah. have handled that a little bit differently. A little bit differently. And they did have a um, there was a trans actor uh, that played a trans character as well, one of the star siblings, uh, Jewel Star was mm. trans. Yes. Um, and that was awesome. Um, and I think in the beginning of uh, conversations and it's like a lot of like fan lore that uh, Perfuma was supposed to be trans as well. Uh, I don't, so it's kind of, it's, and Noelle was like, yeah, you know, that's not really a headcanon type of thing. It was definitely an intention of ours, but they didn't cast a trans actor. And it's the type of show where they would a hundred percent cast a trans actor to play a trans person. So mm-hmm. I think that might've just gotten dropped. Yeah. So and, yeah. a- and after that, not quite damning critique. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't really have that much to say about it. Some of the fourth season's a little slow, but that's only because I'm a Catradora. Like I'm like obsessed with Catradora, and there really wasn't any in the fourth season. But other than that, <laughs> I don't really have any problems with it. I I've watched it so many times. 
if this came out when I was 15, uh, I would have like, I would have never left my room because I just would have been writing fan fiction forever. (laughs) (laughs) Just like. There are a lot of 15 year olds now writing fan uh, fiction. Oh, trust me. I I started following a bunch of She-Ru fans on Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, you're all so young. I feel so old. I know they're all such babies. I know. And I mean that in like a very affectionate way. I like, know. like, oh, you're so to lucky. Explore and connect with others. Yeah. In that way, I just. I know. But that's why we're going to see more of these stories, right? Oh, oh yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> Noel gets to like just make as many more stories as. I mean. Noelle had not proved herself to be a showrunner. Like, she was a comic writer, like, phenomenal storyteller. But as a showrunner, she knocked it out of the park. This is, you know, from nose to tail, from the music to the design to, you know, the writing, the acting, the casting. Like, kudos to her. She did an awesome job, and I can't wait to see what else she does. Yeah, and and I want this also to be another, not just, like, Noelle's going to go off and do great things. It's also that others like her or have yep. a similar vision to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are going to like be listened to more. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, find themselves in the same types of positions yep. that Noelle did. We have this. That is my uh, big dream. Yeah, same. <laughs> same. But it's, and it's not completely and it's, it, it's, it's unique in how it handles everything. But I will say, you know, I know we're not all Steven Universe fans, but Steven Universe does some similar stuff. I right. think Epo and the Age of Wonder Beasts mm-hmm. is proving to be pretty um, solid in that department. And if, mm-hmm. if people haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. Although it's disorienting because Kipo is voiced by the same uh, woman who voices Glimmer. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> unnerving. <laughs> See, I find it oddly comforting. <laughs> she's, just, she's just moved on to this other world and, and become this other thing. And But she's also plays sure. the, the female in the adaptation of the boys. So that's super huh. weird. Huh. Um, just, just for a fun fact to disturb you. Um, but, you know, I think we're, I just feel like we're in an age where we're finally getting, right, people who are young enough Mm-hmm. getting the opportunity to tell their stories and that's mm-hmm. also partly because we have web television yes yes absolutely they're not, they're not bound to advertisers in the same yeah. way yep right. that's exactly right. what i was going to say yep that's so that's so true and it's funny because yep. sometimes i have these moments of like did i miss when our generation did something like did these things right like created television and the fact of the matter is is no i didn't miss it it just it didn't really happen. Well, it just wasn't as progressive, I guess, as yeah. I hoped it would be, right? Yeah. Um, that's not to say that there haven't been or well, that there tried. aren't some really great things out there yeah. that are currently made by people in my generation. Well, Dragon um, Prince. I mean, uh, Dragon Prince is great good. with it's great with representation, too. It's not centered right. like it is in Shiro, but... Um, be, are... I'm curious how old the showrunners for Avatar were when they... I think they're about... I think they're, like, in their late 30s. Mid to late yeah. 30s. That's... So they, there you go. Yeah. I'm always going to hold avatars like, oh, well, maybe there was like, you know, there was a glimmer of hope. Yeah. <laughs> ah, glimmer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but, I, have, okay. I have one fun fact is that the uh, actor that plays Madame Raz is also the voice of Azula. Oh, really? Yeah. So 
Yeah. So there's like the flip side of Glimmer and Kipo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I had um, no idea. So once again, being mindful of our time, mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you, Meth, um, do you have any Shira related projects coming up in your life? Wink nudge. I <laughs> know. <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> Wink nudge. Watch this space. Follow me on Twitter at Dosmeth. Yep. And and I'm sure that we will be also letting letting people who follow us know about what you're up to. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I let people know what you're up to. <laughs> All the many things that you might wish to uh, promote you know, will be promoted. You know. Exactly. I will let you know when when things arise. Yay. Well, then, thank you both. I feel like we could just keep talking about the show forever, but I'm not oh, yeah. sure people want to listen to us forever. <laughs> oh, I legitimately can. I have so many more notes. I have... <laughs> I have notes for every episode. I'm, I am such a nerd. I have, I found great fan art the other day. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it all day. So, yeah. And we so, didn't get into like, half the princesses. So I know. I know. I know. We, yeah. We didn't Wait, even so talk what? about like Entrapta and her relationships Ugh. and her, the way she relates to people. Also very. And we talked about Ron Hordak. Ron oh Hordak. And, and Entrapta is a neurodivergent character. Yeah. And oh, oh. Okay, what so what princess is everybody? I know what princess I, I relate to most, but if we go by um the recent uh MBTI indicator that, oh, yeah. that was shared, I'm actually Hordak. No. <laughs> um, but the princess I relate to the most strongly, probably surprising no one is Mermista. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I say that with affection. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Ter- terrible, terrible Mermista. No, no. Oh. I love Mermista also because she's voiced by um, somebody who was on Crazy Dick's Girlfriend. Yes. Another amazing show. I love Mermista because at the end of the show when everyone's like, yeah, everyone's redeemed and Hordak's running through the field, she just turns to Seahawk and is like, so we're just going to like let that happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, right. and point. i feel like that would be <laughs> yeah good point um i will say i was lucky enough to get so like my myers briggs has a tendency to fluctuate depending on where I'm, when i'm taking it mm-hmm. um so i would either be wrong hordak which is amazing <laughs> or adora oh um, which I feel like it's giving me more credit than I deserve because the one who I relate to the most, because if anyone knows me, it's that I admit it like as a teen and even as an adult, like I'm not the most confident person in the world. Mm-hmm. So like Glimmer really resonated with me in terms of like, yeah. especially like the younger me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. in terms of like friendship and like, you know, expectations on yourself and all of that so also mm-hmm. also I, I i say this very seriously that was my teenage body yeah so, awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah totally awesome yeah i um i uh 18 year old meth was 100 percent catra right down to the uh tuxedo jacket and ripped jeans oh i love it and <laughs> your old meth is uh seahawk just uh finally in touch with their goofy emotions and mustache and uh, love perpetually it. in love with a with a curvy grouchy mermaid so oh <laughs> it's the cutest and i think that is a wonderful way to end this so thank you both
Hi everyone, Valerie here, and on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.